High Hill City, so glad to be with you this morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you are watching this. I hope you're watching it with some other people, that you've gathered some people together for a watch party, or you're just with a couple family members, or if you're alone today, remember that you are not alone. If you're watching this premiering on Facebook, you're watching online with your community, with your church. So we just welcome you here. If you are new to Hill City, we are a community that has been going through the values of our church. And we've been doing this by looking at the book of Acts. So we have seven main values for our church and we've been going through those week by week and in the book of acts it shows that the values of the early church are the same values that guide hill city today the book of acts shows through narrative and history how the early church came to be their struggles their mission of obedience to god to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and how they did that by following Jesus and living through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the second to the last week, and this week we are talking about the value of prayer. We pray because it all depends on God. Notice the value is not we pray because it all depends on us, right? Uh, that somehow through the act of petitioning God, if we come up with the right words or say enough big words or end and begin it right or have the right amount of faith or even the right amount of emotion, of emotion that somehow we can manipulate God into doing what we want. Um, because that view kind of treats God as some sort of cosmic vending machine, right? That we're just searching our pockets for the right coin to put into that machine to get the product we want. God, if you can just, God, if you will only, God, if you do this, I'll do dot, dot, dot. And that's not what the Bible says about prayer. We treat prayer with with this mode of thought, kind of like cheat codes for the universe. I don't know if you've played games or in, in your youth played games that had cheat codes, but I remember, you know, a couple cheat codes that you had to put in just the right code or do just the right actions with your little character to get a million dollars in Sims or... Um, one of my favorites was Zoo Tycoon when I was younger, and there was this secret thing you had to do to be able to get the unicorns in play and be able to have unicorns in your zoo. And when we treat God as some sort of vending machine, we're saying that if we can just come up with the right cheat code, the right actions, uh, the right words to say, then God has to answer our prayer and give us exactly what we want. And if you think about it, that's really not a relationship. Uh, We can begin to feel, too, with this perception of prayer, that the weight of the world rests on our shoulders, that the fate, uh, the eternal destiny of friends and family and acquaintances rests on us, that the healing of people we know who are suffering and ill rests on us, that it all depends on us just figuring out how to ask God uh, for them, for their healing, for their salvation, for a breakthrough in their lives. If we can just figure out how to ask God in the right way, he'll do it. But it doesn't work that way. And, And that's not the heart of God to just sit around waiting for us to come up with the right words before he can help us. 
In Matthew chapter 6, uh, a chapter in scripture we're not going to fully explore today, we find that Jesus teaches his disciples to pray simply, honestly, humbly, and in faith. Simply, honestly, humbly, and in faith. They're exhorted to pray not like uh, the pagans they see who adhere to other religions who just babble on and on and repeat the same phrases, but instead they're supposed to pray simply. They're not supposed to pray like the religious elite who walk around just doing it for show, using a lot of big words and phrases, what we might call Christianese today, uh, just to show off. But instead, Jesus' disciples are supposed to pray humbly. To pray as Jesus exampled through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is to pray with honest petition for our needs and to have faith that God is a good Father with good gifts and we have the privilege of personal relationship with Him. Of course, on the other side of things, if we're saying it's not we pray because it's all up to us, on the opposite side, you have the view that we pray even though God is going to do whatever he wants, so it doesn't really matter in the end anyway. I know, that one's longer. If this were so, if it really didn't matter if we prayed or not because God's going to do what he wants anyway, then why are we supposed to pray? Well, a lot of theologians with this view would say, well, prayer changes you. The most important function of prayer is that you become more like Jesus. And when you pray the things that God wants, then you will see answered prayer, right? Because you're praying the things that he's going to do anyway. And don't get me wrong, that is true to a point. We are meant to be changed by prayer. It is supposed to develop in us a steadfastness and earnestness and love for others that uh, makes us more and more like Jesus. As Dallas Willard put it, um, it is a means of forming character. Likewise, I know that the Bible teaches about the sovereignty of God. That's not something I'm coming against. I know and am so thankful that God is sovereign, that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, that he is the one who sees all the circumstances throughout history and can say no to our prayer sometimes because he sees things going on that maybe we will not live to even see the results of. But sometimes... And maybe this isn't your problem. Sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in words like sovereignty that we don't let the Bible speak for itself about who God is. The Bible speaks about God's plans coming to pass, about him knowing the beginning and the end. But it also speaks about Abraham interceding for Lot and the city he lived in. It talks about Moses interceding for the children of Israel when God would rather just destroy them and start over. It speaks over and over again about God answering the pleas and prayers of his people for change. And it would be foolish to resign ourselves to prayer and say, yes, we have to do this because Jesus told us to, but really it doesn't change anything in the long run. Because just like other mysteries that involve God's character, it can be both and. 
God is sovereign and he is all-knowing and all-powerful. His plans don't change, but mysteriously, both and, (laughs) prayer works, as James says, the righteous prayer, or the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So the prayer of the righteous person, the person who's been made right before God, which if you believe in Jesus is you and me, accomplishes much. That's not a trick verse any more than any of those other verses are about God changing his mind. It means that mysteriously and synergistically, as we pray through the Spirit, we work with God to see his kingdom come on this earth. So we pray and petition and intercede because Jesus taught us to. And we do it because we know we have the amazing privilege of coming before the throne of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And we pray because we know in the end, everything is up to God. We see this happening all through the book of Acts. So we've been in the book of Acts. If you've been reading along with us, you are almost done. You have one more week of reading through the book of Acts. And throughout this book, we see prayer. It's not as flashy as some of the other elements of Acts, so it's easy to gloss over. So I just want to go through some verses real quick and show you that from beginning to end, prayer is weaved through this story. In 114, we learn the disciples were constantly in prayer as they waited together for the promised coming of the Holy Spirit. In 242, prayer is listed as one of the defining traits of the early church. It says they were devoted to prayer. In 423 through 30, after persecution begins, the church prays boldly for continuing in their mission. In 6.6, the apostles pray and commission the deacons who they put in charge to help lead the church. In 8.15, the apostles pray for the Holy Spirit to come on new believers. In 9.40, Peter prays before raising Tabitha from the dead. In chapter 12, the believers fervently gather and pray for Peter who's been imprisoned and he's released and actually interrupts their prayer meeting. In 1625, the prayers of Paul and Silas are heard by the whole prison as they're sitting there waiting for God to answer. And then an earthquake happens. And as a result, the Philippian jailer and his whole household come to know Jesus. In 2036, the leaders of the Ephesian church come to Miletus to hear Paul's last commission to them. And they all weep together and they kneel and they pray, knowing that they will not see him again. Prayer is there weaved into that book from beginning to end through every major movement of the church and through the missionary journeys of Paul. And interestingly, we see throughout that prayer precipitates the radical move of the Holy Spirit. That every time we see this radical movement of the Holy Spirit, whether it's coming at Pentecost or moving out towards, or moving the gospel out towards the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit's uh, coming to empower believers is uh, preempted, precipitated by prayer. So we're going to go to Acts 4, 23 through 31 to talk specifically about how this value of 
prayer works out in community. In Acts 4, uh, the early church is starting to gain the notice of the religious authorities. The Sanhedrin has pulled in Peter and John after they heal a lame man. And they're asking them questions. They're interrogating them. And after giving a bold speech about salvation only being found in Jesus' name, uh, the Sanhedrin isn't sure what to do because they can't deny that this 40-year-old man has been healed. It's not a goof. Something uh, from the power of God has happened. And even though they see this, they warn Peter and John that they should not preach or teach again in the name of Jesus. And in uh, verses 19 through 20, Peter and John replied to them, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. What an answer. So when they go back to the church, starting in verses 23 uh, through 31, it says, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So this is a bold example of prayer in community, and it was placed here in Acts for our benefit, for, our, uh, for us to learn from their example. The church, this gathering of men and women and children who believed in Jesus and wanted to follow him as their Lord, had just heard that the authorities in Jerusalem didn't like what they were doing, that they were prohibiting them even speaking in the name of Jesus that they didn't want them to follow what Jesus had commanded and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I want you to know first, we're going to have four points here to learn from. I want you to learn first that their first instinct after hearing this was prayer. Their first instinct was prayer. They didn't take up arms and try to fight for their rights. They didn't have a strategy meeting to figure out how they were going to work around this and how exactly they were going to schedule their meetings out. They did not jump on Facebook to start, you know, sharing memes. <laughs> their first reaction was to gather and to pray. Is our first instinct to pray? It's a really important question. I don't just mean for us individually, though it's a good question to ask of yourself. 
I mean as a church community, are we working to make it our first instinct to pray? When a pandemic hits, when the brokenness of our society becomes clear, when marriages are struggling, when depression comes, when there's spiritual attack, when you've sinned again and again and again and you can't get out of this cycle, when there doesn't seem to be any way forward in your life, what is your instinct? What is your first response? Because instincts and responses aren't made in a moment. They aren't made in that moment of crisis. They are the product of a long communal practice. And the early church had this established for them from the time of Matthew 6 that we read at the beginning, from the time Jesus had taught them that they were always to be praying. So we can't build up an ingrained habit of prayer without first establishing a persistent practice. And I want to be upfront. This isn't easy. This has not been easy for me. But in the life of community, I have had several people who have been spurring me on in this arena over the last year. I have John who uh, constantly talks about prayer and spiritual disciplines and has encouraged me to read more about it and has made it a part of the life of the church by establishing our weekly rhythm and praying together even though we're apart on Tuesdays. There's my sister Abby who's prayed with me every single day of the last three months as we've sought God on some requests that are very uh, near and dear to our hearts. There's Michelle and Jen and Monica who've been meeting on Zoom with me weekly and reminding me to do it when I forget to pray for the needs of the church. We have been praying for your prayer requests, for those things you've shared with the community or maybe you haven't shared and we know about. We've been praying for them and bringing them before God and seeking to be a community that always prays for the needs of our people. And this all goes to show that we can't build this practice alone. Without their help, I would not be in the place I am right now with prayer. So the question is, what are we doing to make that happen? What are you doing at this moment in your life to make the practice of prayer persistent, enduring, and to make it a habit that becomes your first instinct in crisis? So number one, make prayer your first instinct. Number two, remember who God is. Half of the prayer in this account from Acts 4 is taken up by just remembering who God is. You can read it there starting in verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. In order to pray in power, we can't mistake God for a vending machine and we cannot lack trust in his power. As we pray, we have to remember who God is. He is sovereign. His plans will prevail. He is the creator. There is no pandemic, no plague, no world event, no world ruler who will thwart what he has purposed. There may be chaos in this world, 
But in the community of God, his people should be the ones who remember and share who he is. Look how they use scripture to do this. It points to the importance of reading and knowing God's word. Because to remember who God is, we have to know it from what he's told us about himself in the Bible. Why do you think people have such strange views of prayer? Because they have not studied it in the Bible. Why do you think right now we're struggling with so many Christians sharing conspiracy theories online and talking about end times as if it's some sort of formula to figure out instead of focusing on reaching out to those who are hurting? It's because we have not studied the Bible enough. Book of Revelation was purposed to encourage God's people to keep on with the good work Jesus had always commanded us to do. Not to sit in our houses and plot out when the end times are coming, who the Antichrist is, or why some sort of immunization might be the mark of the beast. Those things are happening in our church and in the church in large because we do not know the word of God and therefore do not know who God is. Why are people so entrenched in political debates, holding up one candidate or another as some sort of Messiah figure? Because the Bible has not permeated their thinking about how God works, even when rulers rise to power and fall from power. This election season is going to become all absorbing for some people, but If it becomes that way for you, then you've forgotten what the Bible says about who God is. There is only one chosen one. His name is Jesus Christ, and he doesn't go halvesies on your loyalties. He's not okay with your allegiance being given to anyone or anything except him. And in order to remember these things, we have to know the word of God, and we have to remember who God is. That's the only way we will be praying according to his will. Number three, for something we can learn about this from communal prayer, we have to remember what God has done. In verses 27 and 28, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So the church in the midst of praying recites what had recently happened, what had happened when Jesus was taken in by the authorities and killed, that they seemingly held power over him. And they recite this to remember that it was Jesus's choice to lay his life down and that it was according to God's sovereign plan that the authorities were able to do this. They remember that in the upside down kingdom of God, self-sacrificial love and and sacrificing your own life instead of seeking out your own comfort is what leads to glory and victory. What history do we as a people of God and as an individual community of Hill City need to recite and remember? What history do you as an individual need to recite and remember? 
Of course, it all starts with Jesus, but what events have happened in your life to bring you to this point? I want to remind you that it's been for a purpose, that you are living in the year 2020 because God's put you in the year 2020, that God has put Hill City here in the year 2020 to show Jesus's love and share the good news of the gospel in a way that only we can at this time in this place. I want you to be praying for the opportunities for the church to do this. I want you to be praying about how you are supposed to be doing this because you are part of this church. The church is not the leaders, the people who appear on camera. The church is the entire body of Christ, remembering who God is and what he has done and moving forward from there. Fourth, I think we can learn from this passage in Acts to ask boldly for enabling. It says in verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I want you to know that the church didn't pray for the authorities to be struck down. The church didn't even pray to be protected. The church prayed that they would have what it took to continue to obey God. They asked for power, for enabling to continue the mission that Jesus had set before them to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth and to live as his disciples. They wanted God's power to speak God's message. And they also asked for God's miraculous intervention through healing and through signs and wonders. But the purpose of asking for those was that so they could be a witness to the world around them. And that's what we have to ask for power for. I want to suggest that these four things can really guide us as a community. That we need to make prayer an instinct. If you haven't already, join the weekly rhythm. Pray on Tuesdays with us. There are so many of us who are. If you haven't done it because you feel like you'd be the only one, you're not. There are so many of us praying and fasting for the needs of the community. Number two, remember who God is. If you don't have a clear picture of who God is from the word of God, then study it. Find people to study it with. Start a watch party so you can discuss these things. Number three, remember what God has done in your life and in Hill City, that he has brought us to this place for a purpose. And then number four, ask boldly for enabling. I think often we're so satisfied with hitting the check marks of asking for the things that are at the forefront of our minds that we don't often think to go beyond that and ask for enabling to be on the offense. We have a lot of defensive prayers, protect me, protect my children, protect this house, protect our church. And I'm not saying that those are bad prayers. I've prayed them myself. I just think we're asking too little, that the riches of heaven are open to us. And instead of asking for enabling to reach the people who are lost and to see a move of the Holy Spirit in our time that changes everything about how we live, we just settle for too little. 
We need to ask for enabling, for boldness, for power to do the work of God. And then we need to obey. I want to make a side note here that prayer did not make life easier for the early church. And if you're someone like me who has been praying for some things for years and years and years and years and hasn't seen an answer, I just want you to know you're not alone. That prayer doesn't always result in that quick answer. And for the early church, it didn't result in an easier life. In fact, it got harder and harder throughout the book of Acts. There was more persecution. They were less accepted by the culture around them. They were uh, more shunned by the culture around them, in fact. They had less protection and less power as the book of Acts goes on the first 30 years of the early church. But prayer guaranteed that in the midst of hardship and suffering and persecution, they maintained their connection with God and what he was doing in the world. We want to stay keyed in to the mission and purpose of God in our culture. If you look around and you don't know what God's doing, maybe it's because you're not praying. Prayer keeps us connected to what God is doing in this time. He is still working, he hasn't stopped. And he does this so that the church can be a valid witness to the people around them. We want Hill City to be a valid witness in Thornton, in Colorado, in our community. We want to be a valid witness in our individual families and homes and with our friends. And we want to precipitate a massive move of the Holy Spirit. We love to see God doing something new and restoring things that have been broken for so long. And we want to be a part of that. We want to be a people of persistent prayer that remembers who God is and what he can do and asks for power for those miracles so that we can witness of his glory and his victory over the ruler of this world. We want his power so that we can live sacrificially and follow the example of Jesus. Because in the end, it is all up to God, but he enables us to become a part of what he's doing. And we don't want to miss out on that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do just ask for your enabling. We know that you're sovereign, that your plans will come to pass no matter what. But we also know that you've called us to pray passionately and purposefully. That you've called us to intercede for the needs of our community, for our personal needs, for our families, for our friends. That you have put us exactly in the place we're in, in the year we're in, for a reason. And part of that reason is to pray in the moment we're in. Lord, please quicken our hearts to want to seek you out on a daily basis to make prayer our first instinct. Help us to know how to follow you, to know how to engage more deeply in what you're doing in this world. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as a community, that we would repent of the ways we haven't wanted to pray or how we haven't submitted to your will and that we move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit to share your gospel with the people around us. Lord, we pray you would comfort those who feel 
that they have been persisting in prayer and have heard nothing back, pray that you would let them know today that you are working, that you aren't on pause, that you hear them, and that you're a good father who is going to give them good gifts and continue to use them in your kingdom. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.